Please stand as we prepare to read from God's Word this morning. If you would, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll be reading verses 12 through 17. Again, Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17. Again, Pastor Chris is preaching this morning on don't waste your life on being a root of bitterness like Esau. Instead, dig up the root of bitterness and its deadly fruit. So follow along again as I read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please, this morning. Most gracious Heavenly Father, how great and marvelous you are. Show us how not to waste this precious life that you've given us, Father. Show us what is most important to live a life that's worthy of you. Be with Pastor Chris this morning in this message, Father. We just thank you that we're in your house this morning, worshiping you, giving you glory for how great you are and what you have for us to receive from you. In your name we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy. We're talking about not wasting your life in this series, and I ran across uh, the world's most bitter obituary. And here's what it says. You know, on the Internet now, you can leave people's uh, legacy and your, your thoughts about them. And here's what someone left about a woman named Dolores. Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many. Very few tears will be shed, and there will be no lamenting over her passing. Submitted August 17, 2008. The world's most bitter obituary. How would you like that all over the World Wide Web? There's the legacy of our lives. Well, in a sense, what Randy just read is kind of the obit for a man by the name of Esau. And I would say to you this morning that Esau is the poster boy of a wasted life for the author of Hebrews. Now, last week in our series, Pastor Bruce introduced us to the poster boy of a life that counts, and that was Moses, right? And we saw that four key issues have to be settled for your life to make a difference. Those were identity, they were responsibility, priority, and difficulty. And if you missed that message, then you can go on our website, glenwoodconnection.org. You can go to resources, download that message and those notes. But here in Hebrews 12, one chapter over from Hebrews 11, we see the poster boy for a life that is wasted, and that is Esau. Now, if you need the background on Esau, and I would encourage you to do this, read Genesis 25 and 27, and it tells the story of Esau and his twin brother Jacob. 
and their sibling rivalry. These guys just did not get along. And it tells you about their highly dysfunctional family. Their parents were Isaac and Rebekah. Their grandparents were Abraham and Sarah. And yet their family was a mess. And just take a moment here to thank God for that. That is a great reminder that you can have a God-honoring family and still be all messed up and not perfect. Could all parents say amen to that? that? There's hope, okay? There is hope for us. But all that we need to know about Esau today for this sermon is found in the verses that Randy just read in Hebrews 12, 15 through 17. And I would say to you that these verses tell us that Esau is a classic example of a wasted life. And it's for three reasons. And let's look at these. First of all, he traded his birthright for the temporary pleasure of a bowl of red stuff. He traded his own birthright from God for the temporary pleasure of a bowl of red stuff. Look at verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane or godless person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now, what is he saying there? Well, Esau was a Esau means red. That's what his name means. It means red. And he, when he was born, he was of a red, ruddy color. He was very hairy. He was a man's man. He loved the outdoors. And he loved this food that in the Bible is just called red stuff. It's just, it's just called the red stuff. And so he came in from a hunt, and he was hungry, and his brother Jacob, who was of, of, of a softer side and more of a homebody and kind of a mother's boy and liked to cook, he had cooked some of this red stuff. And so Esau comes in, and he's hungry, and he's ready to eat, and he goes, man, what do I smell? And Jacob says, hey, it's your favorite, red stuff. And he goes, oh, red stuff. And, 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 and there in the text, he just goes, red stuff, red stuff, red stuff. He is excited, man. It's like barbecue marathon or something. He's going nuts. He is so thrilled. And Jacob says, how bad do you want it? And he says, I want it bad, red stuff, red stuff. And Jacob says, well, how about trade me for your birthright? And, and Esau's thinking, hey, what do I care about a birthright? Right now, I've got a bowl of red stuff in front of me, and I'm Esau, the red guy, and this is great. Yeah, take my birthright. Give me that bowl of stuff. And he chowed that down. Now, what's the connection between that? Well, I think it's interesting. We don't really know. It was red stuff, and he was red. Here's the point. He was satisfying himself. That's who he was. Now, I don't know what your red stuff is, See, I've got Chris's stuff, and you've got Jerry's stuff, and, and you've got Donna's stuff. See, we all got stuff that we would trade God's best for. And I don't know what your stuff is, but you need to know what it is. And you need to know that Satan knows what it is, and the world will tempt you to trade that which is your birthright in the Lord Jesus Christ for that which is a temporary, momentary pleasure. And it may not be eating for you. It may be a relationship. It may be uh, financial security. I don't know what that is, but we all have red stuff. And when we see it, we go, mm, red stuff, red stuff, red stuff. The way to Esau's heart was through his stomach. What's the way to your heart? Whatever is the way to your heart reveals what you're really worshiping. And whatever we worship, that's what we become like. And for Esau, he was worshiping the wrong thing. He wasted his life. Number two, he lost his blessing due to deception. He lost his blessing due to deception. See, Jacob means schemer. His name was schemer. And he deceived their father into giving 
him the blessing instead of the blessing that his father intended for Esau. And regardless of Jacob's role in the deception, the point is that Esau missed out on God's blessing due to deception. Look at Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator or godless person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, but notice... 17, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it, that is, the blessing diligently with tears. Now, here's the point. He wanted God's blessing, but it was too late to receive it. He had made choices for which there were consequences that would never change. The author of Hebrews makes it clear that it was Esau's heart that caused him to miss out on God's blessings. See, he had a a desire for, for illegal or illicit pleasures. He had a desire to live a life where God wasn't a part of it. That's what he's saying. The problem with Esau was not his scheming brother. The problem with Esau was his heart. And that's the point. It's not our circumstances. It's not the choices of others that make us miss out on God's blessings. It's the choices we make in our own hearts. You see, bitterness is not the result of what others do to us. It's the result of the choices we make in our own heart when things happen to us. See, no one can make you waste your life. We can only do that for ourselves. And when we don't realize that, And when we try to blame others or blame our circumstances, then number three, Esau became a root of bitterness. Esau became a root of bitterness. In verse 15, the reason 16 and 17 is in your Bible is because Esau is an example of 15, of one who has fallen short of the grace of God, one who has become a root of bitterness. In fact, in Genesis 27, 41... Here's what the Bible says about Esau after he lost his blessing. Listen to this. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Do you see what's going on? He's saying, look, I hate Jacob. I hate what my dad did. I hate how my circumstances are. And in my heart, I will kill. And he becomes a root of bitterness. Now, what's this have to do with us as bitter, in relation to bitter people? Well, here, like Esau, bitter people do these same three things. Number one, bitter people sell the birthright of eternal forgiveness for the temporary pleasure of being right. Did you get that? We sell the birthright of eternal forgiveness for the temporary pleasure of being right. As sons of God, we have the birthright of having unbroken fellowship with the Father. But when we refuse to forgive others, then what happens is there's a barrier between us and God and the joy of our fellowship with Him, the birthright of having a a joyous fellowship with Him is lost. But also, we're in danger of showing that we were never his children in the first place. Because, mark it down, forgiven people are forgiving people. Did you get that? Forgiven people 
are forgiving people. You see, our birthright as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is to be forgiven by God to be forgiving of others. We are forgiven by God to be forgiving of others. And bitter people waste their life by selling this birthright for the pleasure of, well, I'm right. I'm right and I'm going to stick to it. For being angry, for holding grudges, for constantly murmuring, just I just, I, I just, I'm just going to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to that. Or feeling superior as the judge of another. You see, we forfeit the birthright. And like Esau, number two, bitter people lose, therefore, God's blessings. When you trade your birthright to unbroken fellowship and forgiveness, you lose God's blessings due to being deceived about the state of our own heart. You see, it's sad, but bitter people are usually the last to know they are bitter. Have you noticed that? The people around them know, but they don't know. And here's what's worse. Often we know we're bitter, but we, in the stubbornness of our own heart, are going to hold on to that bitterness. Why? Because they did wrong, we're in the right, and we have a right to what? To remain bitter is what we're really saying. And then we think that in our bitterness, God is still going to bless us. But the reality is this, when we hold on to those kind of feelings and those kind of grudges and those kind of hurts and we let them fester and boil up, all we're doing is missing out on God's blessings. And thirdly, bitter people waste their lives. They waste their lives by being a bitter root that spreads deadly fruit. You want to waste your life? Then be a bitter person like Esau was. Now, what does this bitterness have to do with wasting my life. Well, in the book that we've given away here for the last few weeks by John Piper, Don't Waste Your Life, here's what he says in one of, at the beginning paragraph of one of his chapters. Here's what he says. It's impossible to risk your life to make others glad in God if you are an unforgiving person. If you are wired to see other people's faults and failures and offenses and treat them roughly, you will not take risks for their joy. This wiring, and it's universal in all human beings, must be dismantled. We will not gladly risk to make people glad in God if we hate them or hold grudges against them or are repelled by their faults and foibles. We must become forgiving people. Now, if John Piper is not a good enough authority for us, let's listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew uh, 6, 14 and 15, here's what Jesus says. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, Jesus couldn't be any more clear. And yet we read over that and ignore that somehow the Father holds us accountable. For how we treat one another. And that if I don't forgive others, then he will not, he will not forgive me. Now in Matthew 18, 34 through 35, he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. And here's the ending of the parable. And then Jesus makes the application. Listen to this. And in anger, his Lord turned him over to the prison guards to torture him until he repaid all he owed. Now, here's the kicker. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, listen to the wording of that. He's got us so pinned down, there's no escaping. There is no escaping that application. If each of you, all of us, does not forgive our brother from where? From our heart. You see, bitterness is directly related to wasting our lives. So we need to know how to detect bitterness, not only in ourselves, but in others, so that we can dig it up and not waste our lives. So what I want to do is take from these verses, Hebrews 12, 15 through 17, I want to help you to learn to detect bitterness wherever it may be. Most importantly, in your own heart, in my own heart. So let's look at four characteristics and let's detect the bitter fruit, uh, the bitter root before it spreads its de- deadly fruit. So let's look at it. The first characteristic is this. Don't waste your life. Detect the b- root of bitterness. Bitterness is a poison that is extremely Deadly. It's a poison that is extremely deadly. Bitterness is a poison that goes straight for your heart. Let me read a couple passages that talk about bitterness. In Acts chapter 8, verses 20 through 23, we have Peter confronting Simon the sorcerer, and he's got a root of bitterness. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart. It's always the heart. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. That's a pretty good definition of bitterness. Repent, therefore, of, you, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Bitterness binds us in a sinful attitude that God cannot bless. Turn your Bibles to James. James chapter 3, 14 through 16. James chapter 3. Verses 14 through 16. If anyone knew the hearts of men and exposes the hearts of men, it's the, it's the epistle that James wrote. And in James 3, 14 and 16, we see these words. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, where? In your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, Demonic, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing. Bitterness leads to every evil kind of fruit that flows out of our hearts. Finally, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, 14 through 21. These are, this is the passage that is quoted in the book of Hebrews. When the author says, be careful of a root of bitterness, he is quoting Deuteronomy 29, verses 14 through 21. And Moses is warning Israel. And let's look at verses 18 and 19. I'm going to read those to you from the New American Standard. Listen, Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 19. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve God, the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. And notice what the root of bitterness is. It's, he tells us in verse 19, 
One who, when he hears the word of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the the sweeping away of the moist and the dry alike. What's he saying there? He's saying this. The root of bitterness is where you say, you know what? I'm going to just remain in this stubborn, nasty attitude, and I don't care what God says. I don't care what anyone else says. I'm just going to be fine no matter what. And you know what God says in that passage? Moses warns him and says, look, not only will that bitter person be swept away, but he will contaminate and infect, and all of you will be swept away with that bitter root and that poisonous fruit. You see, the Hebrew word for poisonous there in verse 18 is used elsewhere in the Bible for snake venom. Bitterness is like getting snake bite with a snake bit with a poisonous snake. Now, I'm no doctor, but I, can under, but I understand that there are at least four types of snake venom that can be categorized by where they attack the body. For instance... Cytotoxic venoms attack the cells around the bite, and it gets inflamed and it's it's localized. Neurotoxic venoms attack the nervous system, and these go after the brain and the nervous system, and and that's bad. Myotoxic attack the muscular system, and this results in the destruction of the muscles. Man, that's even worse. But listen to hemotoxic venom. Hemotoxic venom of a snake attacks the cardiovascular system. It goes straight to the heart. And here's what doctors say. These venoms attack the uh, cardiovascular system, the circulatory system, and the muscle tissue, thus directly leading to heart failure. These venom causes the poisoning of the blood and affects the blood clotting mechanism to such a grave extent that the victim can die of eternal bleeding. Usually no more, no pain or other symptoms can be observed for one to three, maybe even eight hours. Do you see what's happening? A hemotoxic venom, you are bitten and it goes straight to the heart. It gets a stranglehold on the heart. You are eternally bleeding and you're still walking around for hours and you don't even know it. Now that's the kind of poison that bitterness is. It gets that into the heart. It puts a stranglehold on our heart. We are internally bleeding. We are being poisoned to death. And we're walking around and we don't even know it. It's a deadly poison. Now, how do most people deal with the presence of a deadly poison? Let's say you were drinking a a Coke and I said to you, do you realize that's poison? What would you do? You'd spit it out. You'd spit it all over me, and then I'd get poisoned. I mean, that's what you would do. You would spit that out. If, if, if you knew you had eaten something poisoned, what would you do? You would call 911 and say, i got to get my stomach pumped. i got to get this out of me. It's poisonous. You would take an anti-venom. You would clearly mark the source. What do we do with poisonous things in our, in, in, in our kitchen? They, they have a skull and crossbone. Why? Because it's deadly. You mark it. In fact, you remove it, right? If you knew that your child had a necklace around their neck that was made from a certain large country that, that was lead-based, what would you do? And they were always putting it in their mouth. What would you do? Would you say, oh, just suck away? Suck away. Enjoy that necklace. No, you'd rip that necklace off their neck. It didn't matter how much it cost. It didn't matter if Aunt Susie gave it to you. You would be throwing that thing in the trash. Why? Because it's deadly. It's deadly. That's how we should be treating 
bitterness. It's not something to play around with. It's not something to tolerate in yourself or others. It's a deadly poison. It's a terminal cancer. It's a poison that's extremely deadly. Second characteristic, bitterness is a process. It's not only a poison, but it's a process that is incredibly deceptive. Bitterness is a process that is incredibly deceptive. I want to show you three reasons why bitterness is so incredibly deceptive. Did you notice what is bitterness called in this passage? It's called a what? A root of bitterness. Why is that? Number one, bitterness is a heart sin that grows unseen and unnoticed. It's down underneath. It's a root of bitterness. It's not a leaf of bitterness. It's not a fruit of bitterness. It's called a root because it grows unseen, deep down in the darkness of the earth where you can't see it until they spring up. That's how roots grow. Well, guess what? Bitterness grows that way too. It grows deep down inside me and it's growing and I don't know it and you can't see it and yet it is growing. And then suddenly it blooms and its fruit is there and it's deadly. You see, the root of bitterness points to a process that is hidden beneath the surface and not easily detected. And that's why it's good that you are here under the word of God. Because you see, the Word of God is a searchlight that can expose. It's an x-ray. It's Superman x-ray vision. The Word of God can see what we cannot. The Spirit of God can penetrate where we cannot penetrate. The people of God can help us see what we would never see looking in the mirror. Have you ever looked at yourself every morning, you look at yourself in a mirror, and then you get a picture, and you look at that picture, and you're like, who is this person? And you see things in a picture that you would never see in the mirror. Well, listen, we need to get in the mirror of God's word to really see the condition of our heart. Secondly, bitterness is incredibly deceptive because it's the result of a hard heart. It's the result of a hard heart that refuses to repent and see things God's way. This is in Deuteronomy 29. Let me read that again for you. Verse 19. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, when he hears the word of God, blesses himself in his heart and says, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. You see, bitterness calcifies our heart. Bitterness creates a hard heart. And underneath that hard heart, we can't penetrate. We can't get to what's underneath there. And we become insensitive to the things around us, and we don't know what we're becoming. You see, bitterness takes time to develop. It doesn't happen when you're wounded. Well, let me say, the seed is planted when you're wounded. But the roots take time to grow. And so a year, two years, three years, five years later, suddenly you're like, whoa, man, where's that anger coming from? Where's that criticalness coming from? Where's that, where's that, just that, that slow depression and anger? Where's that coming from? Well, it's a slow process and it was planted back here when we were wounded and we didn't deal with it correctly. That's why it's called a root. It springs up. But it takes time to grow and bear its poisonous fruit. You ever had dandelions in your lawn? Man, they they pop up. You get a little sunshine. You get a little rain. They pop up. And I remember as a kid, we'd be sent out to pick the dandelions, right? So you go out and you pick. And maybe you get a a dime or a nickel. You know, it was depression back those days. And you get for every dandelion you get. So you pick them all off. The yard is green. And then what happens? You get good rain, a little sunshine. And in 24 hours, what happens? 
They're all there again. Why? Because you've got to what? You've got to dig up the root. You've got to get down to the root. And that's what bitterness is. And number three, to get to that root, bitterness often requires the help of others to detect it and dig it up. The root of bitterness is incredibly deceptive, and it is so incredibly deceptive, I believe that the only way to really root it out in our lives is getting the help of others, confessing our sins one to another that we might be healed. That's what James says. And bitterness is that kind of root because it's like, it's like and, and, and I've experienced and let me say, by the way, this, this isn't unique. We'll see in a moment. This isn't unique to anybody. We are all susceptible. And if you've ever loved anyone, then you're a candidate to become bitter. Because, see, you can't get hurt if you don't love. If you love, you're going to get hurt. And if you get hurt, you're a candidate for becoming bitter. So the only way you're going to avoid bitterness is not love anybody, and then you'll become bitter anyway. So just love, understand you're going to get hurt, and then when you get hurt, you need help on how to handle that woundedness. And part of that help, I, 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 I've, I, I've woken up on mornings where I'm just, I'm just angry. I'm just angry. You ever woken up like that? Tell me, please, someone say yes. Thank you. You ever woken up angry? And I don't know where it's coming from. And I, I review short accounts, and I'm like, okay, I've forgiven that. I've, I've released that. God, I've been over all that territory. I don't know what this is coming from, but what I know is it's there. So you know what I do? And this is humbling to do. I go to my small group, and we get in our small group, and we get in our time of accountability, and I say, guys, you know what? I'm just angry, and I don't know why, but I need to confess that to you, and I would like you to pray for me. And you know what happens after that? They pray for me. They don't have a clue what's messed up with me. But in that process, God does that heart surgery. And then I come out of that, and it's gone. It's gone. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it was there. I just know it was there, and I need to confess that and get others to help me root this out. Listen, you've got to get help. Bitterness is not a process that is easily detected in our hearts. We can be easily deceived by its deadly presence, and we can be consumed by its bitter fruit before we even realize it. The world is so concerned about early detection of cancers, and rightly so. Amen? We have breast cancer, prostate cancer. We have early detection of skin cancer. But wouldn't it be great if God's people were so concerned about the early detection of the cancer of bitterness in our own lives, in the lives of others, that we would have bitterness awareness weeks, right? And we'd wear, I don't know what color the little ribbon would be, but we would wear that. And people would say, why are you wearing that? And we would say, because this is Bitterness Awareness Week, and we need to have early detection and examination. Wouldn't that be great to have a 5K cure for the bitter heart run? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
To do that, that's the level of awareness that we need. That's the level of detection. We should warn others of the early symptoms. We should examine our hearts on a regular basis. Hey, if you do a yearly physical exam for cancer, could I suggest to you to get with the great physician and to take the scalpel of the Word of God and take the x-ray of the Holy Spirit and yearly do an exam for early detection of bitterness? That would be tremendous. And it would spare us of so much pain, so much disappointment. It would spare us of a wasted life. That's how seriousness bitterness is. It's a process that's incredibly deceptive. Number three, there's a third characteristic you need to detect. And that is this. Bitterness is a plague that is highly, highly, highly contagious. It is a plague that is highly contagious contagious. Now, this is the concern of both the author of Hebrews and of Moses in Deuteronomy 29. So you got Hebrews 12 and you got Deuteronomy 29 and both are saying the same thing. Watch out. Bitterness is highly contagious. I find that amazing that Moses, who last week was our model of a life that counts, is in Deuteronomy 29 saying, don't waste your life. I'm concerned that others do not become a root of bitterness. You see, that's, that's how you know you're not wasting your life. You don't just look out for yourself, but you look out for others. And you want God to bless others like you want him to bless you. And so you warn others. Listen, the gospel is not all good news. There is bad news that if we do do not deal with our sins, if we do not respond to the word of God, then there is judgment from a God who is merciful and yet he is holy. And we need to share the warnings of scripture and not just the promises of blessing because the promises mean nothing without the warning. And a God of love without a God of holiness is not the one true God. And so we need to warn of both. And that's what Moses is doing. But here's the two reasons why it's contagious. Number one, bitterness can infect many people. It is highly contagious. You don't just get it. You spread it to others. Now, this is what, what, what is the concern of Hebrews 12. Look again at verses 15. Actually, look at verse 12. All through 12, 13, 14, and 15, you have these corporate commands. Strengthen each other's hands. Make straight paths for each other's feet. Pursue peace with all people. And then he says, look carefully lest anyone... In other words, we've got to watch out for the whole body not just for ourselves. And the command is to look carefully, looking diligently. It's kind of like Larry the Cable Guy. He's saying, get her done. Get after it. Don't take this passively. Get her done. Watch out. Dig up those roots. Don't leave them. Lest many, notice, lest many become defiled. Now listen, here's why it's contagious. Notice, No one is above becoming a bitter fruit, a bitter root. No one. It says, lest anyone. And I already said this. In fact, the more godly you are, the more likely you are to become bitter. Did he just say that? Did you get that? The more godly you are, the more likely you are to become bitter. And here's here's why. What do godly people do? They invest in people. 
What do people do to you in life? They betray you. They reject you. They hurt you. They wound you. And so being, being a person that invests in others guarantees you're going to get hurt, and that guarantees that you will be tempted to be bitter. And so the idea is any one of us could become this if we are not aware of this. And not only do we become this, but then it says many become defiled. That word defiled means dirty. See, bitterness spreads a kind of dirt that God will not allow in his presence. Notice right before this warning, it says, Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which you will never see God. You see, peace and holiness coincide Bitterness and dirtiness coincide, and God will not allow any, either of it into his presence. It's extremely deadly. It's incredibly, uh, it's incredibly deceptive. It's highly contagious. And here's the facts of it. Not only can it infect many people, but number two, bitterness can be passed on to future generations. Now, in Deuteronomy 29... Uh, Moses makes this clear. He says in verse 14, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here today. And then he says in verse 18, so that there may not be any among you, man, woman, family, or tribe. What's he telling us? He's telling us that this, that entire families can pass on bitterness from one generation to another. Boy, the the worst thing you can ever be is critical in your home, critical of the school, critical of the church, critical of other people, because all you're doing is training your children to grow up to be negative, bitter, angry, critical people, because we can pass that on. Entire churches can try and minister in bitterness, and they're just filled with bitterness. Entire communities can live in bitterness with one another. And do you realize that even nations can instill bitterness into their culture and pass it on? Do you realize that most wars in this country are due to passed on bitterness from one generation to another? Why are we fighting them? Because we don't like them. Why don't we like them? Because mom and dad said we don't like them. Because the president says we don't like them. Because our culture says we should not like them. Listen, bitterness is a plague that is highly contagious. It spreads quickly and others can be easily infected. It takes early detection. Let me give you one final warning, though, to watch out for floating bitterness. Because bitterness is highly contagious, we can't always control how it affects or impacts others. See, we can't keep it in. It spreads. It's in the air. And if we do not deal with bitterness, if we don't deal with bitterness with one person, it can lead to being bitter towards others who we actually love very much. So I'm bitter towards this person over here who I hate, but my bitterness floats over here to my family who I love. And you see, a woman who is bitter towards her ex-husband can actually take her anger out on her own children. A man who is bitter toward his mother can actually take his anger out on his own wife. A man who is bitter toward his parents can actually take that out on his own family. A pastor who is bitter towards his last church can bring it into his present congregation. You see, it floats. It's contagious. We can't control it. Now, let me use this illustration. It's a little, little crude, but it's true. It's, if someone's sick to their stomach and they throw up, you can't control where it goes. 
or who it gets on. You know, you can try. You know, every once in a while, if somebody's sick in her car, well, get the window down and tell us before it happens. Why? Because it goes everywhere. Well, here's the bottom line. When someone throws up like that, it stinks, and no one wants it on them. And what inevitably happens, it makes you want to throw up. And that's what bitterness is. Bitterness kind of spews out of us, and it lands on people. We can't control where it lands. It stinks, and then it makes them become bitter, and then they want to vomit it up. And pretty soon, well, you get the picture. Number four, bitterness is a person that is spiritually cursed. Bitterness is a person that is spiritually cursed. You know, this is the kind of point that as a pastor, you sit in your study and you go, God, could I preach this some other way? Could I just somehow soften this? Could I somehow make this sound like a happy ending? But that's not what the Bible says, and we're here to preach the Word of God. And what it says is this, both in the New Testament passage and in the Old Testament passage that we've read this morning, it talks about the root of bitterness is a person, not just a heart condition. We tend to think bitterness is something in there, but it's not me. And I will ignore it, and I will set it over there, and I will manage it. But the reality is, the root of bitterness in Hebrews is Esau. He's a man. And the root of bitterness in the Old Testament passages is a man, or a woman, or a tribe, or a family. You see, the root of bitterness is a person who has fallen short of the grace of God, who misses out on God's blessing and does not demonstrate the marks of the birthright of a born-again believer. You see, the root of bitterness is a person who has fallen short of the grace of God, and he's cursed like Esau. But number two, the root of bitterness is a person who is an idolater that will suffer all the curses written in the law. You see, it's interesting, in Deuteronomy 29, right after verse 19 comes verse 20. Impressed? Okay. Verse 20 comes after verse 19. But listen, verse 19 says, I will be okay because I bless myself in my own heart. I will be fine in the stubbornness of my heart. But then comes verse 20. The Lord would not spare him. For then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that person. And every curse that is written in this book would settle on him. And the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity. According to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law. Do you realize what he's saying? Bitterness brings down every curse from God. And we cannot escape. Well, this morning, every one of us has the curse of sin upon us. Every one of us is born a cursed person, but there is good news in Jesus Christ this morning. You know what that good news is? That he who knew no sin became a curse for us and died on a tree and shed his blood for every sin, bitterness and every other deadly sin, And his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus Christ did what we could never do. He paid the price of our sin. He rose from the dead, proof that he is victorious over death, the devil, and sin. And he rose and he ascended and he's at the right hand of the Father. And he gives freely the gift of forgiveness to us today. And so in Ephesians 4... Verses 30 through 32, we hear these comforting words. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the key. You can't do it alone. Just as God in Christ also forgave you. So how do I know this morning? If I am a root of bitterness and that I'm wasting my life. Your notes, you have four things to think about. And this is how I want you to respond. This is how God is calling us to respond. Number one, ask God's Spirit to search your heart this morning for any seeds of bitterness that have already been taken root. You may not know it. You don't have to know it. God knows it, and His Spirit will search. And I promise you, in the quietness of your heart, if you will say to God, God, I don't want that curse upon me. I don't want that bitterness to spread. Search for it in my heart, and then confess it immediately, and forgive the, the one who wounded. Forgive them freely, and you will be set free. Agree with God. Number two, agree with God that bitterness is a deadly poison. It's a deceptive process. It's a contagious plague. And it's a curse that only he can cure. Realize I can't self-manage this. Agree with God that only he can dig it out. And then number three, accept the forgiveness that's found only in God's son who drank the bitter cup of our sin. You see, that's the beauty of it. He took the bitter cup of our sin. He drank it full on the cross. And instead, he gives us a cup of blessing. But we have to confess and repent and come to him and receive that blessing. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. But then put away all the angry bitterness towards those who have hurt you. Replace it with loving forgiveness, and God can freely forgive you in Jesus Christ. Is that good news this morning? That's good news. Now, in your notes, you have a 10-step process. That if you'll repeat that process, and it will take repetition, it will take a process of digging out. If you'll take that 10-step process, and you'll go to someone, and you can come to us as a pastoral staff, you can come to your small group, you can come to a, a, a brother or sister in Christ and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this, and I want you to help me through that process. Let's dig it out. Let's not waste our lives. Let's be set free from the root of bitterness. With your heads bowed, with your heads bowed, this is the time to respond. This is the time to respond. Father, we come and we just pray, Lord, that you and your grace would examine our hearts. That you, through the preaching of your word and the searching of your spirit, would reveal whatever is missing, whatever seeds of bitterness are there, Whatever need of forgiveness, whatever need of kindness, whatever need of tenderness is needed, that, Lord, you would give us the righteousness of Christ this morning, that you would place in our hearts what we cannot put there, and that you would remove what only we can offer to you. And so we offer our woundedness, we offer our hurt and our bitterness to you this morning. And we want to do business with you. And we want to receive Jesus' cleansing blood and forgiveness in Jesus' name. As they, as they play, if you want to come and 
and just lay this down. If you want to bring someone to pray with you, then now's the time to do that. And if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'd love to talk to you about that and hook you up with someone that can show you the simple gospel. Let's respond.